This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Today, I want to do something a little different. I want to talk about my favorite book that I've read this year. And I haven't done an episode about this book yet, though I've mentioned it a number of times in previous episodes. I haven't gotten to talk with the author, though I do hope to one day. Still, this book has had a profound impact on me. The book is On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living by Alan Noble. It's a little book. It's just over 100 pages, but I quite literally have not stopped thinking about it since I read it earlier this year. So, as I said, today will be a little different. There's no guest, so I hope you will indulge me that for one episode. Instead, what I'm going to do is read some excerpts from the, from the book on getting out of bed, and for each one, talk a little bit about why I find it so powerful. My name is Jason Wheeland, and this is Undoable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, before I dive into the book, I want to share a little about why this book has impacted me so greatly. I have loved ones in my life who struggle with anxiety and depression. When I started reading this book, I very quickly found myself in familiar territory. Many of the stories and examples could have been taken from conversations I've had or events I've walked through. Now, to be clear, these anxiety and depression struggles are not something that I generally experience myself. I have always been a passenger to somebody else's experience. And it is difficult to fully know and understand the feelings and thoughts of somebody who is trudging through the desert of anxiety and depression. And while this book can't put me square in those shoes, it certainly gave me an even deeper understanding and appreciation of what my loved ones go through and how to love them better. So with that said, let's dive into the first part of the book that I want to share. Now, this is a combination of sentences over two pages. Quote, there's a kind of unspoken conspiracy to ignore how difficult life is. Almost every cultural institution, church, government, or corporation promises you a good life if you just do what they ask. Whatever problem you have, someone has developed a method for overcoming it. End quote. So here we see two different approaches that most people take with talking about suffering or difficulty. There's one tendency which is to ignore it, or at least we pretend that we aren't experiencing it. Maybe we believe that we are weak if we admit that we are suffering, or maybe we just don't want other people prying into our business. And we'll, we'll come back to this idea a little bit later in the book. But that's what he's getting at when he's talking about this unspoken conspiracy to ignore how difficult life is. For some reason, we have this tendency to just not want to talk about it, to not, you know, to always try to try to say, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, things are good, things are great. And But instead, we all know that there's this reality that suffering is real. It can be real daily. And then the second approach 
that we see um, in this first passage is is the opposite. It's talking about diving into it, diving into the idea of suffering, but for one's own benefit, right? It's because, as he mentioned in that passage, he says, every cultural institution, church, government, or corporation promises you a good life if you do what they ask, right? So that is saying you don't have to suffer. You don't have to experience difficulty and the pains of life if you just do what we say. If you just, if you just uh, take our prescription, if you just do our thing, if you buy our product, right? So there's this idea that many people take of how can I make money or gain influence from other people's misfortune? So to me, having this as a passage I wanted to share, it sets this perspective that we don't need to pretend that life is all roses and rainbows and unicorns. We don't have to uh, agree to this unspoken conspiracy, as he mentioned, to ignore how difficult life is. So the next passage then that I wanted to bring up today is another combination of two passages, but it speaks well to this other key idea. Quote, Think about someone you know who is living the good life. Someone well-dressed, confident, smiling, high-achieving, maybe even attractive and intelligent and funny. Nine times out of ten, they are carrying around something unspeakably painful. And often, when you learn what that pain is, it'll be something completely unexpected. And then later he says, This is one reason why we don't want to be honest when someone asks us how we're doing. Why admit to failure or weakness? If we tell the truth, they'll start offering advice, recommending some new method for fixing our problem, for overcoming anxiety or achieving our fullest potential or whatever. By the time they are done, we'll just feel the weight of a new obligation another method to try, another chance to fail, end quote. So sometimes we get into this habit of assuming or a comparing, right? We might see another person and think that, man, they seem to have life all together, or they just seem like solid people. And we assume that they seem to have mastered the hardship of life, that doesn't seem like they suffer in the same way that I do or that we do. And sometimes we get into this, or I should say that can lead into this trap of comparison, right? Where you think, man, what are they doing better than me? Or what are they doing so right that I'm doing so wrong? But the truth is, it's not just you who is hiding your pain. Everybody hides their pain. Everybody has something that they're walking around with. As the author says, nine times out of 10, they're carrying around something unspeakably painful. And it might not be personal pain. It might not be something that they personally are experiencing themselves, but it might be the pain of a loved one who that they're going through something that has ripple effects on the lives of those close to them. I think if you pause and you sit for a moment, you can think of people in your life. Maybe it's you or maybe it's somebody else. You can think of people in your life who you know are experiencing just devastating hardship. 
Maybe it's infertility in failed IVF experiences. Maybe it was um, an adoption that, that didn't go through. Maybe it was the job that you thought you that were going to get, and then you just found out, no, it's that this one is not for you. Maybe it's a diagnosis. It could be whatever. Another idea that I wanted to touch on from that passage is we may think that we're helping even when we have the best intentions, but it doesn't mean it plays that way to somebody struggling. Right back in that passage, he says, if we tell the truth, they'll start start offering advice or recommending some new method for fixing our problem, right? For people, for many people who have tried many things to feel better, to think differently, right? To keep... And to keep coming back to these thoughts and feelings can feel demoralizing. And maybe that's not something you've experienced, but I've seen that in loved ones. I have. Try many different things. I say, okay, I guess maybe I'll try this. Then maybe this time will work to help me feel better. And yet what tends to happen is the same feelings keep coming up. And as I said, that can feel demoralizing. But it's a good reminder for the loved ones of people who struggle with this to be mindful and considerate of where your loved one is at and not necessarily try to offer solutions in the moment. Just love them in the moment. Save the conversation about options for, for later when maybe they're out of the, of the deepest throes of whatever they're walking through. Instead, just being their loved one. This is something that I've... <laughs> I've had to learn, and I will say I'm not perfect at it. I am not. (laughs) But this book has really helped to remind me of how important that is. Because for somebody who's in in the thick of it, just being told about another thing, another thing to try that maybe it becomes another thing to fail at just feels unwanted. I want to move on to the next passage that I want to highlight here. A quote. But here's the thing. Each morning, it's you. Each morning, you must choose to get out of bed or not. All the self-care in the world can't replace your choice. End quote. This is perhaps one of the most important sentences in the entire book. For both the person who is struggling and for the loved one. Because all of the help, all of the motivation, the encouragement, all of the truth that you feel like, if I just share this, if I just encourage this, if I just motivate enough, all of that, all of the care in the whole world cannot make the decision for you. The decision to get out of bed all comes down to one person's decision. And that perspective is so important. Yes, that decision doesn't have to be made alone. It can be made with support of others and with God, but we are still autonomous beings with free will. So the decision still has to be made. We get to this idea a little bit later in the book, but I want to touch on it now because it's so important here. One thing that I've learned and I've come to deeply, deeply appreciate is the amount of courage 
that is required, that is needed for many people in this world to get out of bed, to take the next step, to engage with the dailiness of life. Because for many people, when you're in the throes of depression or anxiety or this malaise, it can feel really difficult. And you can just, everything in your body can be screaming, just stay in bed. Just put the covers over your head. Pretend the world isn't there. And yet life does go on. There are responsibilities that pe- that you have. There can be obligations. There can be needs that need to be met. And so it can take a lot of courage to say, this day might be really hard and I might feel just awful today. But I'm still going to make the choice to pull off the covers, stand up, take a shower, get dressed, brush teeth, and enter into the world of the day. That's what he's getting at when he's saying that all the self-care in the world can't replace your choice, and that choice is one of courage. And again, we're going to get to that idea a little bit later in the book, but I wanted to touch on that here as well. Moving on in the book, quote, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not getting into the quote yet. I, uh, I I wanted to. I wanted to say this is that the book then starts to get more a little bit into its central theme. Now, quote: Why get out of bed? It's the most essential question in life, and the thing is, you must have an answer ready because you don't know when you'll need it, and when you need it, you won't have the time, energy or willpower to go looking for answers. For some people, this looks like a busy life. And then the author continues to name two other things. For, for some people, it's the hope of pleasure, and for some people, it's a platitudes. And I'll end that quote there. So he enters into this idea that there that for some people for everybody maybe maybe you've never experienced this but maybe it will come this idea of just feeling i why get out of bed this morning and his charge for us is that we have to have an answer prepared we have to have an answer at the ready because otherwise we start to just grasp for things right if we're grasping for the busyness it's like well i got i got so much to do today so i have to get up because i have to i have i, I have too much to do and you just don't even th- get into the thought about your deepest reason why you fill it with busyness or for some people he talks about it's the hope of a future pleasure well i have this to look forward to or well i know this part is going to be fun um or oh well this coming up might be nice so i guess i'll get up because that is going to that thing that's coming later in the day might make me feel good i might feel happy because of it and again but what do you do then on days when you don't have something that you're looking forward to on the calendar or opposite you have something you are actively not looking forward to so you still need to have some deeper reason to get yourself up he also says for some people it's it's platitudes we look to platitudes you know it's you know it's the idea of win the day or it's the idea of of you got this or the idea of you know the sun will come out tomorrow and you try to like tell yourself these platitudes but 
they're just sayings. They aren't deep, resonant meanings. So let me then continue on in, in the book. He says, quote, you, you, you need to know that your being in the world is a witness, and it counts for something. Your existence testifies. There is no mitigating this fact. There is nowhere you can hide where your life will not speak something to the world. All we can do sometimes is to decide what our existence is a witness to, what it speaks of, and how we can share the burden of witnessing with one another, end quote. Now, this idea of testifying becomes a, if not the central theme of the book. And I should say, it's one that I imagine we don't normally give a lot of thought to. The question, what is your life testifying to? It's an essential question, even out of the context of suffering and hardship. But it becomes even more profound when put in that context. Which then takes us straight into the next passage of the book. Quote, but all of our actions... But I should no, sorry, but of all of our actions, very few speak louder about the nature of God, his goodness, his love for us, and the goodness of his creation than our choice to get out of bed each morning. Life will inevitably crush you at one point or another, and your response to that suffering will testify to something. There will be times when subjectively you will be convinced that life is not worth living and that existence is not beautiful or good, but onerous and meaningless. When those times come, your obligation is to look toward others as witnesses of God's goodness, to remember your responsibilities to care for others, and to remember that you are always a witness, whether you want to be or not, but most of all, Remember that you are God's beloved. This means acknowledging the objective reality that life is good and that despite our distress, we must get up and carry on. He continues, quote, Your existence is a testament, a living argument, an affirmation of creation itself. When you rise each day, that act is a faint but real echo of God's it is good. By living this life, you participate in God's act of creation, asserting with your very existence that it is a good creation. End quote. Holy moly. <laughs> I need to pause here. This truth is profound, it is game-changing, it is mind-bending yet just screams of truth. It is the truest truth because it is completely and utterly ingrained in us. The good of which God spoke in creation is not only alive and well in the world around you, but in your very being. This is the foundational root of your identity. 
of who you are as a human being from the very beginning of creation, good. You are a testimony of God's goodness just by being you, just by living. No matter what sort of day you are having, no matter your attitude or responses or feelings or insecurities, no matter what you've done, you are God's beloved and the pinnacle of his good creation. Dr. Noble says, even when you don't feel that it is good, even when that goodness is unimaginable, it is good. So to go back then to that idea of what is your answer going to be? Why get out of bed? The most essential question and that charge that you need to have an answer ready, that is what he's getting at. That central theme that your existence is a testament, an argument, an affirmation for creation itself, and that it is good. That by living, you participate in God's act of creation, asserting with your very existence that it is good. So that is a huge part of what that answer can and should be. That when you wake up each day, it is God saying, hello, good one, my child whom I made. I have another day for you. And yes, that day might come with difficulty. For all you know, it might be the hardest day of your life, but you are loved. You are still my creation. You are not an accident. I made you on purpose. And I made and I made you because I love you. And he 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 enters into that idea as well that that we are responsible to other people too, that our lives as a testimony to other people as well, that we testify to the goodness of others as well. So it's not just always it's not just about us. Too. It's not just putting it in our own perspective. It's also putting it in the perspective of others. Now, we've talked about this idea of getting out of bed, but Dr. Noble expands on the scope a little bit later in the book. Quote, The choice to get out of bed is not made once per day, but continually as we do the next thing. End quote. Now, I'll be honest. This line hit me like a ton of bricks. Because you don't necessarily just pull the ripcord to start the lawnmower and then it's running for good, right? The choice to get out of bed becomes the choice to stay out of bed. And sometimes it is an hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second battle. And again, Oftentimes, we don't realize or appreciate that this is the battle that many people are fighting all the time. You have no idea the people in your office, the people at the grocery store, the people on the sidelines at the kids' sports game. You have no idea that there are people there who are just struggling to stay there that they have to fight every urge within them to just run away, to run back home, to climb into bed.
Now, the next idea that I want to highlight is about just doing the next thing rather than getting overwhelmed by all of, by all of the things. He says, quote, to do the next thing is not to deny our other responsibilities, but to recognize that faithfulness is always an obligation for the present. Right now, we have a duty to serve God by doing whatever good work he has put before us. And if we trouble ourselves with all of the other things we are burdened with, the things of tomorrow or the next hour or minute, we will be overwhelmed. Don't do the next thing just so that you can keep doing the next thing. Do the next thing because it honors God and testifies of his goodness and the goodness of your life to your neighbor. End quote. Now, I love this because of the permission it gives. And it's not that we need the permission, but rather need the reminder of it. We tend to walk through life with so much on our plates at any given time, right? Always needing to be thinking about a dozen things before we can move on to the next dozen things, right? Being pulled this way and that. And this is such a great reminder that it's okay to just focus on the next thing. Whether that something is mundane, like brushing your teeth, or maybe it's something bigger, like finishing a project for work. But doing the next thing, taking the next step, walking one step at a time, is honoring to God. It is okay to tone it down, to walk slower. It's still walking. So maybe that's the reminder that really sticks with you today. That instead of having to think about all the other things, to think about the thing that's coming up next week, to think about all of the things you have to plan for months out, months out, or if you think about just the hecticness of life, or even, even if your life doesn't feel hectic, but maybe you have a lot of little responsibilities that can feel just overwhelming and overwhelming and overwhelming, it is okay to just stop, to just say, just what is the next thing? I need to do. All right, the next thing that I need to do is to get dressed. I can do that. Okay, I'm dressed. Now, what is the next thing that I need to do? I feel hungry, so I need to eat. Okay, I ate. What is the next thing I need to do? And you know, God meets you in those moments. God is not just the God of of everything far from now he is the god of the moments too moving on in the book dr noble enters into a bit of a benediction on beauty and good gifts he says a quote you must try to see the next sorry you must try to see the nice things around you now you cannot wait until life slows down or you feel better, or you are cured, or free, or whatever, to accept the good gifts God gives you. You can't. This is non-negotiable. In my experience, with few exceptions, life doesn't slow down, and some things don't get better. You either choose to receive the beauty and wonder of this life in the midst of chaos and distress, or you never will. He continues, 
So why get out of bed? Because life itself is a good gift given by a loving God who even now preserves your every breath. Because your life and the lives of those around you are living testaments to God's love. End quote. Now, I love this call that he gives. There is beauty and goodness all around us. And sometimes, yes, sometimes it feels impossible to see or notice or care, but it doesn't mean that it isn't there. It, it is. I love how this book presents a nice theology of God and creation just as much as it talks about suffering. And if we anchor into the truths that God is good, that God says his creation is good, I am his creation, and therefore I am good, and the rest of creation is good. That can have a profound impact on our outlook. Now, again, this is not to diminish the reality that depression can make everything seem ugly. But when we're able to remind ourselves that those are tinted glasses and not the actual reality of God's beauty, then we might get to see things differently. The book also enters into this important theme of sacrifice in the book as well. And this is when he talks about the bravery, the courage bit that I mentioned earlier. It says in the book, quote, It's never a good time to sacrifice for others, but it's always the right time to sacrifice for others. And he continues, quote, In such moments, the friend or the dog or the coworker may never know what you are sacrificing to be with them. They may not appreciate what you can give them. They may even be confused or frustrated that you cannot do more, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that before God, you acted faithfully in doing the next thing. You rose out of bed. Such are the unaccountable moments of courage, which mental illness and life itself demands of us. End quote. Now, this is true. Other people may never know your struggle or never understand your struggle, but God does. And whomever you trust to let into that part of you will too. And to those people, your life is a glorious testimony. Throughout the book, Dr. Noble refers to the Cormac McCarthy novel, The Road. In fact, the very opening page of On Getting Out of Bed is a quote from The Road. It says, What's the bravest thing you ever did? Getting up this morning. End quote. Now, for many, many people, maybe for you listening, this rings incredibly true. The choice to get out of bed, the choice to do the chores, to attend the party, to bring your kid to the event may take incredible acts of bravery. I've, I've seen this firsthand in the lives of loved ones. And even though I can't fully understand because it is beyond my own experience, 
I deeply admire that courage. And I know I personally try to do whatever I can to support through it. Now, this brings us towards the end of the book. It says, quote, Yet this is our calling, to glorify God by honoring his creation. You. You are God's good creation. Regardless of how you feel or what you have done or experienced or weakened by sin, fallen, and in need of a redeemer, yes. But nevertheless, your existence in this world is good. And even that weakness, that sin, has been overcome by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And he continues later, quote, And while suffering is a normal part of fallen human life, it is not the essence of life. At the center of existence is not suffering, but grace. The grace of Christ. The grace that created you, that cleanses you from all unrighteousness and provides all the blessing of this life. The same God who sent his son to die for you, sustains your existence and created you. You, miraculous you, because he loves you, whether you believe it or not. End quote. So this brings back that question that was asked earlier in the book and throughout the book. Why get out of bed? The answer which, if you remember, needs to be kept in your back pocket for whenever the day of struggle comes, is this calling to glorify God by honoring his creation, you. Life only exists because God willed it to exist. And he willed it to exist and continues to do so because he is so in love with you and because he only makes good things. I said at the beginning of this episode that this book has had a profound impact on me. I've been telling people, I've been telling as many people about it as I can think of, and I hope you see why. For me, it is such a well-worded glimpse at the struggles that so many people go through at the reality that everybody suffers in some way or another. Now, I can't say that I personally have wrestled with the question of getting out of bed, but I know people who have and do. But this book and the truths it shares isn't just about people with anxiety and depression. It speaks openly and candidly about that which we so often choose to hide or silence. Suffering is inevitable. It is a part of life. We do not know the future on a day-to-day perspective, so we cannot know what hardships we might face. However, we do know why we are here and who we are here with. Your existence is good because God is good and he made you. This book is a call to adopt and fully embrace your 
createdness, what it means to be created by a good God. And not just created, but known. And not just known, but sustained. And not just sustained, but loved. So, so very loved. I'm putting two links in the show notes for this episode. First is a link to this book, On Getting Out of Bed, by Alan Noble. I I truly hope you check it out. The second is a link to saddleback.com slash cares. Now, if you have resonated with the themes and realities talked about in this book and through this episode, visit the website to learn more about Saddleback's care ministry. Or if you are somewhere else in the country, I encourage you to connect with your local church near you. This is also a good time to remind you that it is okay to seek help. It is okay to need help. This might be the time in your life where the best next step is to find a counselor, to find a therapist, to seek help in that way. There's no shame in that. There's absolutely no shame in that. So if that is you, make sure to take those steps that you need to seek the help that you need. Talk with somebody. Find a friend, somebody who you can trust that you can let them into your world a little bit too and let that person walk through it with you as well. This is why I'm such an advocate for connecting with a local church near you. Find people who will love on you through whatever it is you're going through. Let me pray. Father God, you know our struggles, and not just the ones that boil up to the surface, but even our innermost struggles. No thought, no feeling is hidden from you. And still, and still, you call us good. You call us beloved. You call us yours. It is because of this that we can live with and through grief and suffering seemingly unimaginable and yet still whisper, it is well with my soul. You are our Redeemer. Nothing can take that away. You offer your comfort, your counsel. My cup overflows. For anybody right now who is feeling the weight of that foundational question of getting out of bed, Lord, I pray for your hand of care to be laid upon them. I ask for that still small voice of goodness and love to speak through the darkness. Thank you for who you are, the God of the universe, the creator of all things lover of my soul. And thank you for who I am, your creation, your beloved. Amen.